Hello, everyone, and welcome to our ninth episode of Doorway Chats. I'm Liliana, one of your co-hosts, and I am here with the lovely Emma. And today we are so excited to be discussing book club pick number two. Drum roll, please. You should all know what the book was, but it was Burnout by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski, who are identical twin sisters. So super excited to get right down to it today. Would love to hear, Emma, what was your main thoughts overall review of the book? Did you like it? How did you find the read? I thought it was an excellent book. I think it was super digestible. It was very easy to understand. There was like data, but also anecdotal stuff. And it just really made a lot of sense. And it was very relatable, I thought. How did you find it? I really liked it. Pretty much I flew through it. It was very interesting and I learned a lot about myself. So excited to share that with everyone today. I agree. Me too. All right. Should we kick things off with the definition of burnout, which is the entire theme of the book? Would you like to give us that? Sure. So it was first coined as a technical term in actually 1975, which when you think about it was not that long ago, but it's defined by three components, which is emotional exhaustion. So fatigue that comes from caring too much or for too long. Depersonalization. So you can no longer empathize, care, or have compassion and then a decreased sense of accomplishment. So just feeling like you can't do anything anymore that would make any difference. Um, And a quick fact about burnout, 20 to 30% of teachers in America have moderately high to high levels of burnout. And similar rates are found in university professors, international aid workers, medical professionals, Um, so it's very prevalent in a lot of different areas, but specifically there's been, or a growing area of research is parental burnout and burnout in the people that are helping to lead us and give us their knowledge and their care and compassion. Yeah. Very interesting because a lot of those are classified as like the caring professions and also probably a lot of them are dominated by women. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, that is a great point. And this book really focused on burnout specifically related to women. And just a quick call out that while we talk a lot about the science and the studies that focus on women, these are primarily folks who have identified as women since birth. So when we refer to women, we're referring to anyone who um, would consider themselves a woman, but just know that some of the science has a few caveats with that. So hopefully in the future, things like that will change, but just for the purpose of our podcast and the book, that is the definition of women that they're going by for science related purposes. Right. So today we will talk about the first half of the book. So chapters one through four, primarily. And what was your biggest takeaway from the first chapter or the first part? I think the biggest thing that I took away is, or one of the biggest things off the top of my head is 
the difference between stress and stressors and that sometimes I, I think I can allow myself to start feeling a bit helpless or like I'm losing hope if I can't fix the stressor. So if we just go back to the book a little bit, they talk about the distinction between stress and stressors, stressors being what activates the stress response in your body. So the things that you're experiencing in life, like work, money, family, cultural norms, discrimination, also things that are going on internally, like self-criticism, body image, those are stressors that lead you to feel the physiological and neurological effects of the stress. So your heart might beat faster, you're breathing more quickly, your muscles are tense, you um, have a harder time sleeping, Sometimes your organ systems get deprioritized, like your digestive system, for instance. I think lots of people have experienced stress accompanied by digestive issues. So I think that whole notion of stress versus stressors was a big takeaway for me, for me, and that you don't always have to like completely solve the problem that you're dealing with in your life if you can at least deal with the physical feeling of stress in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's something I learned too, is the book mentioned that eliminating the stressor may not actually alleviate the stress. So you might've been able to check something off your to-do list that you think was the stressor, but now the stress is still there because you haven't necessarily been given a chance for your body to complete the cycle and a stress response, like you just said, physically activates a whole bunch of different chemicals that I can not pronounce um, to like push blood to your muscles. And there's like glucorticoids that keep you going um, and endorphins that help you ignore your discomfort. So you may think you got rid of the stressor, but the stress can still be there until you let yourself complete the cycle. And there are so many different ways to complete the cycle. Um, I'll list a few that were named in the book and we can talk about those a little bit. Um, sure. so breathing, positive social interaction, um, laughter, any type of affection. Um, it doesn't have to be like a personal relationship, crying, creativity. So one of my biggest takeaways from this was it is completely okay to cry after you think that the stressor is eliminated because you just need to let it out. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of things that they that they talked about in that uh, area of completing the stress cycle seem to make so much sense because it, it's it's like if you are feeling stressed all day, you're like holding it all in. You're like trying to hold things together to make things work. And then you can't just how do you just flip the switch and then go back to normal after that? Like you need to have some sort of release to get that out of your system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And They also talk about how wellness is not a state of being, but a state of action. So it's actually doing things physically or mentally that are going to help you complete the cycle and not just get stuck in the middle where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but the train is just stuck. Right. And you can actually get to the end of the tunnel. And I guess what I also... um took away from that was that like it is normal to not just 
be okay all the time. Like it's normal to feel stressed about work, about family, about friends, about whatever time management. It's normal to feel stressed about those things. And it's kind of an unrealistic expectation to expect that we're just going to deal with all those things and just be okay. We actually have to be proactive in dealing with those things. Um, Like you said, like it's a state of action. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, they address something called the monitor, which is a part of your brain that decides whether to keep trying or to give up. And so there is a certain level of stress that is acceptable for you to have on a day-to-day basis because it might help you keep going, pursue your goals, complete things that you need to. Um, And your monitor knows what your goal is and how much effort you're putting in and also knows how much progress you've made. So you have to always remind yourself that the thing is the thing you're doing worth the effort that you're putting in. Right. Or, and sometimes it's hard, I guess, to know and your monitor can kind of help you evaluate this is like, is the amount of effort you're putting in proportionate to what you're expecting to get? Or is it too much to handle? And so I think one of the things that was related to the monitor was the planful problem solving aspect. So you can be planning all you want and you can have all these things planned out. Like when you go on your morning commute, have a GPS, you can have a to-do list of all the things that you need to do. And you can do this and still, and be able to get through your day and be prepared for all the different scenarios, but still by doing the planful problem solving and by going through your day, you're like accumulating a base level of stress. Is that how you understood it? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's exactly how I understood it. And Again, that's why it's so important to understand you can have a base level, but your brain will reappraise and that causes changes in your brain function that affect your amygdala, which reduces stress response. So there's certain things that you can do to help prepare to lower that stress on a day-to-day, but there's also things that you might do to prevent stress that are end up causing you more. And that's when reappraisal happens to see what's worth it and what's not. Right. So can you maybe, I don't know if you have one off the top of your head, but can you maybe provide like a little bit of an example of that? Like how that would look in, a, in your day or in like a person, an imaginary person's day? Um, sure. I guess the biggest one for me, and it actually happened recently, is I always want to carry a huge bag of stuff with me when I go somewhere because I'm like, what if I need this? What if I need a sweater, an umbrella, my whole um, like toiletry bag, an iPad, my phone, like anything that I might need. And so recently I decided on taking a big bag. And then when I got to where I wanted to go, there was no bag check and Uh-oh. it just created way more stress because I had to carry this big bag with me for like a 30 minute walk and through like all the streets of where I was going. And now I know for the future, okay, this type of stress, number one, of getting the bag ready and right. running around last minute. Oh my gosh, I forgot this. I forgot that. And then I ended up using one thing that I had in the bag. It's like, okay, right. next time I'll just only bring 
the sweater that I need in my small purse. Right. And then also like the, all the scenarios that you're probably running through in your head of like all the different things you might need and what you uh, might run into and why you would need those things. Like that's taking up not a small amount of energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I ended up not bringing things that probably were just little things that would have been more important to have. Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. And positive reappraisal, I think, also helps in reframing what's going on, right? Well, so there's like, I guess, reappraisal and you could negative, negatively or positively reappraise it. But if you're positively reappraising it, then you're looking at these like blunders as um, an opportunity for like learning or for growth or something. So I guess in another way, you look at that experience of the bag and you think, oh, well, this kind of sucked that I had to carry the bag many blocks, but now I know for next time. And this is good because now it's not going to happen again. Mm -hmm, Exactly. But I feel like, and it talked about this in the book, um, women are especially likely to keep persisting and ignore our monitor telling us to give up because, and like, I've had that comment made to me before where I like whip things out of my bag and they're like, oh, you just have everything in there. And I'm like, yep, I do. Like I can get you whatever you want, like a water bottle, a granola bar. I have it, but it's maybe not always on me to have everything for other people. And I'm kind of ignoring my monitor telling me no one is going to be mad at you if you don't have what they need that they don't even know they're going to need. either. Right. Right. Because most of the time they don't expect you to have it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, so I always, an example for me is that I always kind of am the person who, um, and I think you are kind of this in our mutual friend group, but in my home friend group, I'm often the person who facilitates the planning and who facilitates like the logistics and stuff like that. Um, so I went to a cottage with some of my friends for the weekend and we were just going to buy all our groceries together and then split the cost. And so I said, Oh, I'll go do the grocery shopping. Um, because in my mind, I'm like, I need to volunteer to do grocery shopping for whatever reason, the same, I guess the same reason why you think you need to carry all of these things for all of these people. So then it gets closer to the day. And I realize that I have no time to go grocery shopping. And if I'm going to be able to get the groceries, I'm going to have to ask Matt to go get them for me. And I won't even be able to come with him. So I asked Matt to get the groceries and he was fine with it, but I felt terrible because I was like, well, look what I've done now. Like this wasn't worth it at all. Like now I have to create this super detailed list for Matt so he can get the stuff. He has to take time out of his day to go grocery shopping. And probably one of the other five people who were coming would have had time to go grocery shopping instead of me. So that was also that was, I guess, a time when I was trying to be planful and figure things out for the whole group, but it really just ended up causing a lot more stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. And a great example of how burnout occurs because you put all these things on your plate, um, wanting to be like superwoman, and it just doesn't work out in your favor sometimes. But that's part of the goals that we internally set for ourselves and Mm -hmm. going into a little bit of chapter three and meaning our sense of 
purpose in life and what we want to be perceived as by other people and what we want um, our own meaning to be like nourishing the experience of feeling like we are givers for folks. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit more in the next episode as well. And we will, but human giver syndrome, basically we feel like we have to give to other humans, but that doesn't necessarily mean it should be our main goal or something larger should be whatever it means for us in the long term. And I kind of perceive that as primarily our greater sense of purpose in life should just be for us to feel good about what we're doing Mm -hmm. and not feel like we cannot reach out to others if we need support in feeling good. Right. And it's not that we can't ever be givers or be generous or compassionate to others or whatever, but it's just that doing those things shouldn't come at the expense of ourselves and shouldn't come before our own needs, which I think is a pretty, that concept of putting others needs in front of your own, I think is a pretty big concept that a lot of women internalize when they're growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. A lot of these things for women, like women's stressors or stressors that disproportionately affect women there are so many of them that you don't even sometimes obviously realize that Mm -hmm. womanhood itself and the book mentions this is just a chronic low level stress because we don't give up as easily. We tend to be givers and maybe we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. And we're sometimes told that we're not experiencing anything different than men So we just have more weight on our shoulders in the first place. Being gaslit by society. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, this is what um, or how the book described gaslighting. It makes you believe that you put yourself in a trap. Um, But Mm -hmm. I mean, no one put us in the trap of being women. And sometimes it's purposeful. But most of the time, it's just caused caused by um, what the book calls patriarchy blindness. So when people are not willing to accept that the mere existence of the patriarchy means that things can be more stressful for women. Mm -hmm. And just to list a few of the things that the book mentioned that disproportionately affect women, Um, things like body image, which we have already discussed, Um, just explicit misogyny. Is that how you pronounce that? Misogyny. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Misogyny that there's not even I didn't even spell it right in my notes. So how am I going to pronounce it correctly? Okay. (laughs) Um, Sexual violence, things like not speaking up. So a great stat in the book was that in meetings where men are the majority, women will speak one third less than men. So, I mean, we've already talked about having a seat at the table and that type of thing, but I mean, in terms of a women's stressor, this is such a common scenario for women. Mm -hmm. 
definitely that we have to just deal with I just for one second want to go back to something that you said before which was about um that women tend to give up less and I just wanted to um specify that it's not just that we are unwilling to give up when we maybe should or when we realize that the task is too hard it is actually believed by some people that it might be a biological difference between men and women or, or some sort of chemical difference between men and women so there was a study done on male and female rats and they were put through all sorts of stressors in their lives um, their cages would be tipped or they'd receive less water or less food or they'd be exposed to noises, um, things that were meant to just be kind of constant underlying stressors. And then they were supposed to swim. And the after experiencing these stressors, the male rats gave up and their effort dropped almost immediately. But the female rats persisted for three weeks before their uh, swim time dropped in half. And even after that, it didn't drop off again for I don't know how many weeks or maybe not at all. So it's not just that women are being stubborn. It's that there seems to be some sort of actual biological difference. Yes, that's such a good point. There were so many um, really neat studies in the book that were done with animals. Um, Mm -hmm. Another one that that reminded me of was there's something called the owl and the cheese and Basically, what the study showed was that if the owl is running away from a predator, it will end up putting in less effort overall because it's running away from a negative. Um, If there was just cheese and it was like a race with just the owl getting to the cheese and chasing that light at the end, it actually performed better with that positive reinforcement than with the negativity coming after it, which I thought was really interesting because I think a lot of times as women, we will put something in our heads like we don't want to be this or we can't do this. And so we set the goal of not doing that. And instead of doing that, we should maybe be a little bit more positive with how we are seeing ourselves, use that self-compassion that we talked about before and give ourselves that cheese to chase. So just off the top of my head, something that I can personally think of is when you talk about getting fit and your workout goals, a lot of times people mention weight loss and Mm -hmm. mostly the fear of becoming more than what they want to become. Right. Um, Instead of maybe a positive reinforcement saying, I want to feel good in my body, no matter what the weight or the size or whatever, I just have a goal of completing a workout three times a week, and then I'll get my reward um, instead of trying to run away from whatever negative um, perception they might have. Right. And then additionally, when we like set these goals, um, instead of having the, making them be more like incentivizing rather than threatening, if we do fail in the goals, we 
even if like we set an incentivizing goal, then we need to try to be again, more self-compassionate in our failure because like the same kind of concept, if we beat ourselves up after we fail, then that's not going to act as any sort of motivator going forward. And okay. Circling back and relating this to the whole rats thing, which is what made me Mm -hmm. think of it. If we are setting goals or creating predators in our mind that are unachievable, then we are still going to be trying and trying and trying and swimming in that water to try to reach a goal that we might never even get to. So something to always think about is that, yeah, we talk about smart goals, all that kind of stuff. The book mentions goals that can be completed soon and that are certain, positive, concrete, specific, and personal. So they really have to affect you. And you just need to know that at some point you will be able to complete it. Don't give yourself an unrealistic goal because that might actually end up being worse for your motivation than having something you know you can complete, Um, especially if you're trying to complete that stress cycle at the end of trying to reach your goal. If you can never eliminate that stressor or that stress, you're going to get stuck in the stress cycle. Exactly. And it's just like an ongoing stressor in that case. And you're, it's also kind of self-imposed. All right. So that wraps up a lot of the key takeaways from the first half of the book. Is there anything else we didn't mention that you'd like to share with us? Um, well, the one other thing that got mentioned at the, towards the beginning of the book um, that I thought was interesting and maybe just a bit of a caveat for the whole book is that, um, so they use an analogy where white men are on even level playing field. Women are on a slightly steeper and rougher terrain, but women of color are like on a cliffside struggling. And so when we talk about all of these things, all of these stressors, we have to also remember that you're mere existence and how the way that you were born can affect those things and so when we're talking about like body image and the patriarchy and all of these things there are a lot of things that we as white women experience but I'm sure that those things are just further exacerbated if you are a woman of color that was just a little thing that I thought was kind of important to note Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. That's a great call out. And I appreciate you mentioning that. We will also definitely get more into that example of hanging Mm -hmm. off a cliff later on. So keep your ears peeled for that. (laughs) And did you have anything that you wanted to touch on before we wrapped up? I think the key takeaway for me was Mm -hmm. um, finding things that can help you complete your cycle that you can do, even if you don't necessarily know that you're completing your cycle. So just scheduling these types of activities in regularly, like physical activity. um, It's actually one of the most efficient strategies for completing the cycle. Um, But things like taking time to breathe once a day, laughter, crying, things like that, you can set aside time. Maybe you don't plan your crying, but (laughs) (laughs) you can set aside dedicated time once a week just to 
complete the cycle, even if you don't think that you're stressed because mm-hmm. it releases the chemicals in your body that you need to, to end up helping you in the long run and just prevent burnout overall. Yes. So just quickly before we wrap up, I actually do have one question or like a 1A, 1B question. So A, how do you know now that you have read the book and maybe had time to digest it, how do you personally know when you need to complete the stress cycle? Like what do you recognize in yourself that's telling you to complete the stress cycle? And B, what do you do or what do you think you will do to complete the stress cycle going forward? Great question. I think I'm still working on recognizing when I've completed it. Um, For me, the positive social interaction is a really big one, especially Mm -hmm. now that I'm interacting more, not necessarily with strangers, but new people as work opens up and as we're able to go out and just like go to friends' houses who are hosting different friend groups that you don't see all the time. finding that I was missing that and realizing how important it was to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think my tip at the end about like just trying to complete it, even if you don't know is super important because physical activity has been really big for me. And I didn't emphasize that a lot in August. And now I'm like, okay, I need to get back on track because if I don't, I just won't feel as good as I have felt before. Right, right. How about you? Um, I think that, well, I first of all, when I know that I need to like complete the stress cycle, like when I when I can tell that I am stressed, I notice that I'll get like a little bit more irritable. I'll be kind of like breathing. My breath will be like more shallow and I'll be kind of like hot. And so that's when I know that I need to like step away from a moment, like whether it's at work or like in a conversation or while I'm, I don't know, there's um, whatever other stressors there are. I know that I need to step away for a minute, but in to complete the stress cycle, I think the ones that I do like in the moment would be like deep breaths. Those usually help me. Um, also like a lot of people know, just a good cry if things get really, emotional and then sometimes depending on like who's around if Matt is here then I'll go for like the 20 second hug that they um suggest in the book and then obviously on a more regular basis those ones are kind of like in the moment but on a regular basis I think the ones the one that keeps me the most um kind of able to deal with the stress on a more continuous basis would probably be physical activity, like you said, like walks, working out, any type of any type of movement, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that you say that, I feel like sometimes I know I'm stressed right away because I just start like the volume of my voice goes up like a million decibels, and I'm just yelling every sentence. It doesn't matter if it's like meant to be yelled. I'm just, I'm just screaming. <laughs> You're just tense and it comes out through your voice. Yeah. And then it just creates more problems for me because everyone's like, oh, you're so like mad at me. And I'm like, no, I'm not mad at you. I'm just mad at every situation that's going on right now. And (laughs) it's not like that I'm mad as you as a person. I'm just, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's another thing, like completing the stress cycle, you will also probably like improve your interactions with people. It'll improve mm-hmm. lots of areas of your life. Yeah. All righty. So we're very excited to bring you part two of burnout next episode release in two weeks. So keep your ears open for that. Um, But otherwise, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.